Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hi, everybody. I want to begin with some prayer today. How about that? You know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I was reading some, um, some quotes, of course, from MLK. They're always so powerful. And I, I came across this one, and it's a prayer. It says, use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. How many of you guys agree with that prayer? And I just thought, man, what a great prayer to begin our day with. And I'm just going to use that prayer. We're going to pray this over ourselves, over this church, that God would do something with who we're becoming, and, and to use it all for his glory. So let's just pray together. Father, we pray that as we just take time today, I use this prayer, Father. Use us, God. Show us how to take who we are, who we want to be, and what we can do, and use it for a purpose greater than ourselves. Use it for a purpose that is all for you. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray for this day. Use your word to, to shape us, refine us, teach us new things today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. All right, you guys ready to go? We are in week number three of fire in our hearts. We are declaring 2023 is all for him. So I want you to look at your neighbor, and right now you just say, hey, let's go. Let's go today. Let's do this. We are looking, if you're new with us, we've been looking just since the beginning of the year, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the stories, the themes, and the teachings from the book of Acts a lot of you are reading through the book of Acts right now. And so I want to begin in Acts again. I want to begin in Acts chapter 1. We aren't necessarily going through it in order. We're looking at stories, teachings, and themes. Acts 1 verse 14, though, it says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Everyone say 120. That's how many believers were gathered in Jerusalem in those days. Now, there's another passage in 1 Corinthians that suggests there were 500 believers that came together when Jesus gave the, uh, gave the Great Commission. And that was the, kind of the believers from all the region. But in Jerusalem, in that city, it looks like there are about 120. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about numbers. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the numbers that we see in the Scriptures. Because how many of you go know that numbers don't lie? So, so today's message title is actually called Numbers Don't Lie because numbers actually help tell us a story. They tell us some things about what's going on. Numbers aren't everything, but there's something alive in the numbers. And so Jesus met with the disciples in Jerusalem. There's 120 gathered. And if you've ever read the book of Acts, you probably have seen or noticed a pretty repeated phrase, something similar to, and the Lord added to their number. You guys know what I'm talking about? That kind of keeps happening. And so uh, it's a bit of a theme. So I'm just going to read a bunch of verses real quick. If you're taking notes, get ready. Here we go. But chapter 2, verse 41. This is just a summary of some of the things in the book of Acts. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You imagine that day. The communion team, like, they were a bit overwhelmed, right? They just went from an order for 120 to 3K in one day. More and more lots, please. Bring it in. Here we go. Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed that, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. How many? 
right. Parking team's brain just exploded, right? Part, chapter 5, 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. So it was increasing, right? Chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So even the priests and the pastors are surrendering, guys. Come on. That's when you know something's really happening, when the pastors are surrendering to the Lord. Chapter 9, verse 31. And the, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Chapter 11, verse 24. And the Lord was with them, and a great number. We've got to practice this. And a great There you go. Of people believed and turned to the Lord. Chapter 14, verse 1. They, there they spoke so effectively that a great of Jews and Greeks believed. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in daily. <laughs> I could keep going, but I'll stop. I think we get it. The church was growing. God was increasing their number on the daily, right? And numbers don't lie. There is a story happening, and I want to talk today a little bit about church growth. Is that okay? Because that's always like one of those subjects. Like I know that church growth is a little bit of a dicey conversation. Some of us have maybe been in churches where people try and grow at all costs, and along the way people get hurt. And here's the deal. I've been a part of that story. I've felt that story. I've felt that pain. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about what's happening in the book of Acts where we see a type of growth happening that we can't deny. This was the church that was clearly growing. And I want to talk about it because along the way, not only do we talk about how to got to grow a community of people, but I believe it connects to our personal growth. How many of you guys are hungry for some personal growth in your life? How many of you guys are like, I could take it from, I don't know, like a 60% to 100%. That would be great. Anybody with me, right? And so Here's the deal. Numbers don't lie. So even if you think about your own number, it doesn't lie. It's telling you a story about where you're at. Now, I've been in ministry coming up on 25 years. This summer will be 25 years. And our church, as we just said, is coming up on 10 years. Can I get a woot woot for the church? Right? I am. Just so you know, I'm excited to celebrate that milestone together this spring. In fact, it's why we are going through the book of Acts. It's why we are doing this series fire in our hearts. It's all connected to this milestone, not because we want to stop and, and look back at everything that God has done, although we will do that. It's more about we believe this is a season in which God wants to use this milestone as a spiritual catalyst to our future and who we're becoming. We believe God is building something, brewing something, doing something in us that we're going to become hotter. We're going to become bigger, not bigger necessarily inside, but there's going to be a bigger fire in, this, in our hearts, in this church for the sake of his glory. Are you all with me? All right, so like I said, when I, uh, I've been in ministry for 25 years. Christy and I have been doing this thing called church ministry for most of our adult lives. And when I was younger, um, when I was younger, you know, there was a bit, of a, a bit of reality to the fact that I was kind of living and dying, if you will, by the success of our ministry tied to numbers. And if, if, if there was, I was hoping and praying that we'd be increasing all the time. And so there was this reality that, you know, the question of how many do you run? You ever heard that question? How many do you run? That was like a ministry question for how big is your church, how big is your ministry, you know, that kind of story. And when I was a youth pastor, I would feel on top of the world if we were running a big number. But I'm telling you, I would feel like a pretty big loser and like maybe I should just quit the thing altogether if we had a low number. I was living by a scoreboard, right? Win or lose by a number. We do this in church, and before you judge me, we do this in life, don't we? 
What's the number in the bank account that you got to have to feel at ease and to feel like a success? Many of us live by that number. What's the number of deals we need to get done? What's the, what's the quota we got to get done to, to, to hit at, at our work? How many calories can I have today? How many miles per gallon does my car get? How much is it, is it for a gallon of milk these days? How many points did they score, right? How many years until I retire? Numbers come coming up, can keep coming up. How old are you, right? How, how, much, how much weight do you want to lose? How many people showed up? And how old is this church, right? I already said it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Numbers matter to us. Numbers matter a whole lot to us. Numbers are everywhere in the world. Numbers are everywhere in the Bible. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> Is it there, right? There's a book called Numbers. And if you're wondering, like, where, what is that book all about? Well, there, it comes from the word. The Greek word uh, is arithmoi. Everybody say arithmoi. Arithmoi is the original Greek word, which actually means numbers, which is the root word for arithmetic. And the book actually is called Numbers because it begins in the first couple verses with an algebra question. I'm just kidding. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> that would be weird because we all know that God hates algebra. Um, <clears throat> it's from the devil. All right. Uh, <clears throat> that was for all you in ninth grade. All right. <clears throat> numbers 1-3. Numbers 1-3. This is why it's called Numbers. Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one, you and Aaron, you being Moses, Moses and Aaron are to count. Now, why would, Moses, why would God have Moses do this? Don't you think God already knew how many people there were? Of course he did. He knew exactly how many people were there, and he knew every hair on their head. But who didn't know? Moses didn't know. Aaron didn't know. The people didn't know. Why did he want them to know? Perhaps he wanted them to know so that they would have an idea when he sent them into a battle in the future just exactly how outnumbered they were. See, this was setting up for an opportunity for faith to occur. Because how many of you know, God wants to know, will you trust me when the numbers don't add up? I wonder how many of us are going to need just a little touch of that today, just a little touch of that message because there's a dream out there that you've been chasing, but the numbers don't add up, the money doesn't add up, the people don't add up. Some of you, you know, there's a problem that can't seem to be solved. There's a broken relationship that can't, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you try and solve it, it can't be reconciled. How many of you know that God has shown time and time again, not only in his word, but in our lives, that he doesn't play by the rules of normal math? Sometimes two plus two equals 10,000. Here's what I'm saying is God is the God of the increase. And here's what I know, too, that sometimes God is the God of the decrease. Numbers matter to God, and it's all over the Bible. How many of you guys, we back up a little bit. How many of you guys remember Abraham? Remember? Remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Da, 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 da. I don't know any other words other than that, I promise you. I was, like, trying to think of them, and I was like, I just know those first couple lines. Centuries before Moses was Abraham. Genesis 15, 5, he, as in God took him as an Abraham, outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. How many know that took a minute? If, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Another time the Lord said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. Now, who are the descendants of Abraham? Well, the descendants are any people who have 
who have come under the covenant that God gave Abraham in the beginning. And if you follow Jesus, you are part of that covenant. Therefore, they are the people of God. And so what he's saying is you are actually one of those stars. Now, some of you are saying, but the rest of us were stars. <laughs> I'm sorry. Later, Jesus. So, so God was like, man, there's a lot of, he was all about many, right? Many descendants. Now, Jesus comes along. And he attracted huge crowds. He was all about the increase, apparently. Well, until he wasn't, right? Because what did he do? He turned the crowds. He would attract them with miracles and perform signs and wonders. And then he called them to do really hard things. He called them to drop everything and follow him, to go all in, to take up your cross. And anytime he'd give a difficult teaching, all these crowds would start to thin. He would thin the crowds down. He would want to say, it's not just about a big number, it's about who really wants to follow me. And after one particular difficult teaching, he was talking about he is the true bread of life. Well, it says this after that teaching, John 6, verse 66. From this time, many, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. There was a process of him thinning the crowds down, right? Which doesn't sound like a good thing. Why do we want as many as possible. And God's like, no, I want the right people. I want the people who really are, are, are chasing after me. Which, by the way, that particular verse, I was thinking about this. This is the time that many of his followers turned back and no longer followed him. If you look at that address, it's 666. I don't know. It's just a weird thing to me. I was thinking, ooh. All right. It goes along with algebra. Um, so <clears throat> Jesus thinned the crowds. He made the crowds smaller. Eventually, there's only 120 of them. Then there's the story of Elijah. So again, numbers are all over the Bible. Elijah, he says, I'm the only one left that's actually going to be faithful Lord. 1 Kings 18, says, Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Then he says, get us two bulls. This isn't a message about Elijah, but I just want you to know that's like the coolest line in the Bible. He's like, hold my beer. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's like the numbers don't add up. It's one versus 450 so-called prophets. And if you know that story, numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. They tell you a story. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? He's like, one against 450, no problem. When, you're, when I'm with you, I can overcome any challenge, any circumstances. Just get me two bowls, and I'll show you what's up. I know you don't know that story. Go read it. First, I mean, some of you know it, but if you don't read the Bible a whole lot, 1 Kings 18, go read it. Just check it out. The numbers are all over the Bible, and every number matters, whether it be one or whether it be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we often wonder questions like, does God like big numbers or small numbers? Does God want me to be rich or to be poor? Does he want me to be in the middle? Does he want me to have a big house? Is that okay? Is it a small house I'm supposed to have? A medium house? Is our church supposed to be big, small, or medium? What is it supposed to be? And so we ask these questions all the time, even when it comes to our church community. Is it supposed to be a big church? Because big churches, I don't know about big churches, they might water down the gospel, they diminish community, but small churches, I mean, they don't really, they lack the impact, so maybe we're supposed to be a medium church. And then all these questions, these are real questions, and they all have to do with numbers. And I want to pose three questions for us today that I think I want to help us with, and I'll put them on screen. And it's just three questions about 
church growth, but really this is about your growth, and it's just this. Why was the church in Acts growing and reaching people? That's question number one. Number two, what are the numbers in our world telling us? We're going to have to look at that. And do we need to grow and reach more people? And if so, how? Some of these questions might seem oh, kind of rather obvious, but I want to make this disclaimer. I already know that I will not be able to adequately answer these three questions over the next 15 to 20 minutes, but I do know that I can share some truth teach some things about this, and hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to start continuing to build a fire in our hearts because that's what this is about. We are building a fire in this church together. We are trying to say, Lord, we want to be bigger, stronger, and hotter because who doesn't want to be hotter? For Jesus. So let's start with question number one. Why was the church in Acts growing and reaching people? Why? Well, first... They were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And this is paramount to understand what's happening in this story when we read it. We already know that the Holy Spirit came to the disciples, came to rest on them in power. Acts 2, right? I'm going to read 2 verse 4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Everyone say enabled. This is really, really important because God doesn't force his ways or his gifts or his work upon us. He enables us for it, and we surrender to that gift, that work, or those ways. We step into what he's enabled us and given us the ability to do. He doesn't force us. How many of you know that we don't always like to surrender to the things God's enabled us to do? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Maybe the Spirit kind of prompts in you that, hey, you should, you should give something away. But it's something that you would have never imagined giving away in your life. You're like, I don't know, God, if I can, if I can do that. I'm not really ready to do that. I'm not ready to surrender to that. And so if you imagine the Holy Spirit moving like a river, right, it's like a stream. There's a current to the Spirit. And sometimes he's saying, well, you surrender to the current and the way I'm moving. But what we do is we go, you know what, I just probably need to swim over to the bank and get out of this river because this is a little too much for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was uh, in the early days of our church. I remember, I remember God putting something in my heart that was pretty profound and significant for me to do. He put in my heart to surrender to a particular type of fast. He wanted me to fast, do a food fast, of course, but it was for... A certain length of time, I said, sure, God, I'll fast. How many minutes do you want me to do? <laughs> I mean, I like food, so this was kind of like no joke. I was like, yeah, God, okay. Ser I mean, seriously, I was like, how long am I supposed to fast? And I wouldn't tell you the story, but I think that there's, you know, something helpful for us in it. And I kid you not, in my spirit, I felt like 21 days was in my heart that I was supposed to fast. And I, I don't know about you, but I've never not eaten for 21 days. I was like, are you sure, Lord? I mean, and it was, like, it was like one of those, like, I could swim over to the bank here. My flesh wanted to swim to the banks and think, surely not, not Lord. I, I would say things like, does 21 days even matter? Does God even really care about numbers? It's all about the heart. It's not about the numbers. God, I mean, does 10% really matter when you're tithing? I mean, it's all about the heart. It's like if I have a good heart about what I'm giving. He's like, yeah, yeah, it is all about the heart. But will your heart surrender to my numbers? And for me, it was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to, this 21 days thing is real. And so in that 21 days, though, I'll say this. Some of the greatest breakthroughs happened. As a church, 
during those 20 day, 21 days, we, we were just a tiny, itty-bitty version of OKC Community, and we raised enough money to help build a church in Kenya during those 21 days. And, and a two-year journey of praying for a property for us broke through. We didn't have a building. We were kind of homeless, and, and something. it was so difficult to find a home for two years. And then finally, something broke through, and we were able to actually get a property that we wanted right next to us, become our first church home. And it was in those 21 days that that broke through and we, and we had that happen. And so it was just this amazing kind of miracle after miracle, honestly, during those 21 days. And, and, and here's the thing that I was thinking about. It's like, I don't think God was rewarding me for not eating. That wasn't what it was about. And he wasn't rewarding us because I took some sacrificial kind of like approach to, it was not about that. If all it took was fasting to create miracles, I'd be fasting all the time. I'd be a fasting machine. You guys would be like, I can't even see that dude. He, he's, so, he's so skinny. I've, I mean, I've fasted plenty of times and nothing's happened. Anybody with me? You're like, okay, God, I'll go with it. I believe instead God foreknew the timing of his breakthrough, and he just wanted to make sure I was focused on him. So he gave me a choice. He enabled me. He enabled me for something. He says, will you trust me the next 21 days so when I do my work, you will give me the praise and the acknowledgement and the glory that I deserve. There was a current that the Holy Spirit was moving in, and I had to, I had to surrender to that current. And I needed to go along for the ride. Are you all with me? And so... The first thing the church in Acts was doing to grow and to reach people is they were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And secondly, I'll say this, and these are not, these are, these are kind of, maybe they're obvious things, but they were growing deeper. They were growing deeper. We read in Acts and, and you, you just sense like, man, these, these people, they are growing deep. Everyone say deeper. deeper. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We've heard that verse a million times. You know what that verse is saying, though? It's saying they were fully devoted. They were going for it. They were all in for Jesus. We are saying as a church, 2023 is all for you, Jesus. These disciples in Acts, they were saying 30, 30, or 33 is all for you, Jesus. That's what they were saying, right? That's, when, that's the year, 33 AD. We could say it like this. They were growing deep roots. They were digging deep wells. Colossians 2.7, I love this passage. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. So many of us need to grow, a or that our, we need our faith to grow strong in the truth right now. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Love that passage. And this passage always actually makes me think, every time I read it, I think of a really, kind of really cool natural wonder that happens uh, with a certain type of tree. It's actually, a, it's actually a bonsai tree, and we all know that bonsai trees are usually in these little bitty, you know, kind of ornamental kind of pots, and they, they're very small, but if you plant them in the ground, they actually grow to be big trees. If you find them in the wild, they're not little ornamental trees. <laughs> they grow and be, to become big. And there's one particular type of bonsai tree that has a uh, that's a cool growth cycle. So what happens is with that particular one, when you plant it in the first five or six years, it grows to be about five or six inches tall. That's it. It's a little bit tiny little tree. But in the seventh year, it's known to grow as much as 50 to 60 feet in one year. 
And we all know what's happening. We're pretty smart people. What's happening in the first five or six years? It's growing its roots, right? It's growing its roots down deep so we can support its growth spurt. It's growing underneath the surface. It's growing healthy and growing the way God intends. How many know that not every seed that God plants will grow in the exact same way? And some of us, we're not, really, we're not okay with that because we look at somebody else and the way they grow and we go, hey, I've tried to do the same thing and did not get the same result. Listen, the goal for us can't be growth. The goal for you can't be growth. The goal must always be health because God, God grows through healthy things. And so here's the thing. It's hard wired into God's design that healthy things will grow as God intends. And so when we are healthy, one of the consequences of health is God-ordained growth. So many times in life, we are frustrated with how things are going and the numbers that we're dealing with, but you have to trust that God is growing you in the way he intends to grow you and that your growth spurt is coming in his time. So don't despise small beginnings, right? Don't give up when all of your effort just seems internal, but there's nothing external happening. Don't give up building those roots in Christ. Don't quit doing the God-honoring work that no one else at your work seems to notice and you keep getting passed up for the promotion. Don't quit doing the right thing. Know that God's growth spurt is coming, right? Like, we have to trust that God will grow healthy things at the correct rate and in his season. And this applies not only to organizations and to churches and, and to businesses, but it applies to you. And so many of us are trying to force our version of growth when God says, you know what? I got a different picture. I got a different picture. I have a different way of doing math. Don't stop building it the way you're supposed to. Healthy things grow at the correct rate. So why was the Church of Acts growing and reaching people? Well, we could add a lot of things, two or three more things about courage and about how they stood steadfast in the face of persecution. We certainly talk about the power of God, but these are the two things I want to say. They were surrendered to the Holy Spirit, meaning they weren't swimming to the banks, and they were growing deeper. All right, question number two, all right, about church growth, if you will. What are the numbers in the world telling us today? I'm going to start with a big number. We'll go to this next one here. This number, 7.94 billion. What's that number represent? Yeah, global population, growing by one person one, every second of every day. A lot of people in the world, God cares about every one of them. Next number, 334 million. That number is? No, it's not my net worth. It's what? <laughs> U.S. population, that's right, U.S. population. Okay, very cool. So there, there's, there's, this is the third largest nation in the world, 334 million people. Let me show you something that's been going on in our nation uh, for the last 100 years or so. Go to the next map here. So if you rewind the clock all the way back to 1900, again, this is a message about numbers, right? Numbers don't lie. If you rewind the clock all the way back to 1900, 80% of all Christians in the world lived in Europe and North America. 80%. But over the last 100 or so years, there has been a, there has been a if you will, gravitational center that's been moving south and, east, and south and east. And go to the next slide. Right now, what we see really going back to 2010, 65% of all Christians live in what would be considered the south and eastern part of the world. And the northern western part is now about 35%. It should soon be under 
30%. So what's going on? Why is this happening? Well, a couple things. One, pretty obviously, that population is growing in parts of the world. And Christianity is exploding. There is a meteoric rise of Christianity in the south and the east, which we should praise God for. It's broken through into some of the most <clears throat> densely populated areas of the world. But simultaneously, we are seeing a decline, <clears throat> if you will, in the west and in the north, which is not a good thing, right? We don't want to see that. Why is that happening? Well, secondly, another reason why that's happening is in the west, if you will, we are becoming more and more secular, marginalizing faith and relying on the strongholds of individualism, commerce, and politics instead of the strongholds of the Almighty God. That's happening over and over again. So why Christianity and faith is rising globally. There's more Christians now than ever before in the history of the world. We are experiencing a steady decline in the United States. We've talked about this many, many times in messages over, over, over years in our church, and we've discussed it at length. We've discussed all sorts of things like the secularization of our culture, the post-Christian area that starts to creep in, and we start to see it more and more in our daily life. We are aware of the shift, but, the, but it is significant to continue to talk about it for a number of reasons. First of all, I think it's worth acknowledging that we are not the center of the Christian world. For years, the West was the center of the Christian world. So any mission that happened globally, it was like the sending place was here or in the West. And we should continue to serve and we continue to send, but I, I think there's something really important happening on, going on here. We have seen a shift to where we have to recognize that we live in a mission field. We live in a mission field. And I, for some of us, that's like no surprise. But the American church has often lost the sight that the ends of the earth is often right down the street. We must look at our city like the disciples in Acts looked at their city. They looked at it and thought, everyone needs Jesus. Let me show you another number. 18%. 18%. 18% represents the number of people who attend a Christian church on any given weekend, meaning a church like ours, a church like Life Church, a church, even a Catholic church, any, any church that believes in Christ. Studies say that Americans, about 40% of Americans say they do, but real stats show 18% of them actually do. Put that in context of a neighborhood, and you have less than one out of five homes, if you will, on any given weekend that are actually engaged in the things of church. So if you flip that, 82% of our neighborhoods, of our city is not engaged in any form of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And in case you're wondering, oh, this must be a national statistic and places like California and their godlessness have driven those statistics down. That was a joke about California. No, this is the same stat, same number for Oklahoma. We are not doing fine, Oklahoma. So does this mean that 82% are spiritually disinterested? No. They're not anti-faith or anti-God. Thank goodness, majority of people in your neighborhoods believe in God. Majority of them are open to faith. But who is going to tell them that that's not enough? Who is going to love them the way Christ loved them? So I want, to, I want to show you something, keeping the imagery of a neighborhood. We have to ask ourselves, how are we doing at things as simple as loving our neighbor? Yeah, come on. Like our literal neighbors. 
I want to show you a tool. We used this a number of years ago. We just called it Love Your Neighbor. And this is just a tool we, we used at the beginning days of our church. I haven't shown it in a long time, so some of this will be brand new to you. But the idea of this is there's, if you can learn the names of eight of your closest neighbors, that would be a place to begin on how to love your neighbor. You see, there's a stat that was put out um, by a guy named Dave Runyon who wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring. He said the vast majority of Americans know zero to two names of their neighbors. And less than 10% of us actually know eight or more neighbors' names. Let me just, let me just ask you a question. It's, how do you think we're doing at loving our neighbors if we don't even know their names? <laughs> like we have to start with some of the most basic things. And one of them is learning our neighbors' names. So if I was going to test you right now, and I won't, but I was going to test you right now, but you can test yourself. Like, how many neighbors do I actually know? My guess is the majority of us are going to be really struggling hard to get past two. So the, the challenge of this is you write the names down. So when we started doing this a long time ago, it would be like you meet a neighbor and you like get their name. Because a lot of times we get their name, and then two, three years later, their name is now, hey, man. What's up, girl? <laughs> What's up, neighbor? You know. Wave while we drive by. I don't know your name. But when you know their name, guess what? You roll the window down and say, hey, what's up, Glenn? What's up, Brent? You know what I mean? You, you, get, you got their names, and it starts a whole new conversation. It creates, it creates authenticity. It creates credibility. It creates connection. And you move from strangers to acquaintances. And acquaintances are the only way you can become friends. And when you become friends, you start to love them. So this is just a little tool this isn't even what we're talking about, but this is a great place to begin, isn't it? Learn your neighbor's names. So we got to ask the question, what are all these numbers telling us? What are these numbers in this world telling us today? Two things. They are telling us that we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit and that we need to grow deeper. And you're like, hold on, that was, that was what you put on the last point. Yeah, yeah, I know that's what I put on the last point, but I think it's really good and so I like it. Yeah, 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 we're going to go with that. You see, in Acts, the numbers were increasing daily. The numbers of believers were increasing rapidly. And I don't want the story of this church in your life to go something like this. The disciples gathered together occasionally, once a week, some of them. They were loosely devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the number of disciples among them was declining daily. I don't want that to be our story, but I'm telling you the numbers don't lie. That's the church in America. Did you guys hear me? Because I felt like I should have heard a gasp. I don't want that to be our story, but the numbers don't lie. And so I'm like, okay, God, what do we need to do? We need to do what? What are we supposed to do? We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender the spirit. Whatever current, whatever way he's moving, that's the way I'm going. We need to be relentless in our, in our desire to grow deeper roots in Christ. Like that's, that's what we got. I mean, is there anything else? Probably, but here's what I know when we do that. When we do that, we will start sharing our faith with great boldness. We will start inviting our friends into our lives and maybe into our churches. We will, we will start acting with a faith that is truly courageous, we will become a house of prayer. We will be people of extravagant love. You know the people in Acts, they weren't thinking, you know what we should do today? Let's go reach 3,000 people. You think they ever said that? But you know what they probably did say? Hey, what's the, what's the Lord doing today? We should do that. 
Let's surrender to that. Hey, what's going on in your life? How's God moving in you? How's he growing you? Oh, that's good. Let's celebrate that. You see, they surrendered to the Spirit. They were growing deeper, and the Lord added to their number daily. Something about it. I don't know. Last question. Do we need to grow and reach more people? If so, how? I thought this was a funny question. Sounds kind of like a dumb question. Maybe you guys can answer it for me, though. But what do you guys think? Do we need to, do we need to grow and reach more people? Yes. Good. We're all on the same page, at least the 40% of us that answered that. There's a good friend who said just recently, hey, I only want, he was talking about the church, he said, I only want OKC Community Church to be everything that God wants OKC Community Church to be. I love that. And I don't know exactly what that means all the time. I don't know exactly what God wants it to be all the time. But I do know that God collectively wants to increase the number of people in his global church, and we are a part of that. Does that mean we'll grow an inch a year for the next five or six years, and in the seventh year there'll be a growth spurt? Maybe. I don't know. But what I do know is that healthy things grow. So yes, we need to grow. We want to grow. We will grow. We should grow. We plan to grow. So how do we do it? I have a big drum roll moment. I bet you can't figure it out. I want to answer this question. It's got two points to it. Are y'all ready? We surrender to the Holy Spirit and we need to grow deeper. How do we grow? This isn't just about church growth. This is about your growth. This is about you and me. God cares about you. God sees you. God wants to take you somewhere. He wants to lead you somewhere. He wants to do something in you as much as he wants to do something in us. And I know for a lot of us, a message about numbers, it might get us thinking about the numbers that are not adding up in our life. We might start thinking about all the things that we've been asking God for that haven't come through yet. We might start thinking about the ways that our bank account doesn't look like we want it to look like. We might start thinking about our portfolio and all the missing holes and pieces in it. We might start thinking about how our sales report is terrible. I don't know what your numbers are. And all of us have a magic number that we are trying to go for. And what I'm telling you today is that whatever your magic number is, God knows it, God sees it, and God can do more than it. Whatever your magic number is, he's saying, will you surrender it to me? Because here's what I know about growth, about your growth, about our growth. The success of your life will only be found in one thing. It's called surrender. Success is all about your surrender. On the very first day of our church, day number one, no joke, day number one, I said this. I wrote it on a whiteboard. We didn't have a cool screen like this. It was like a dry erase board. And I put success equals obedience. Success equals obedience. Like, listen, you will, you will never experience success until you are willing to obey the things that God's putting in your heart. So if the spirit is moving and there's a current move in this direction, if you don't obey the way that God is moving, you will not experience the success and the growth that God wants for you. You cannot manufacture growth. The goal can never be growth. The goal has to be health. The goal has to be surrender. And the goal, the goal has to be saying, I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to dig a well. I'm going to put my roots down deep in Christ and I'm going to trust him for his plans in my life. Are y'all with me? God wants to surrender, wants you to surrender to his spirit. God wants you to grow deeper. He wants to do a deep work. That's why as a church, you know, we've been, I've been really moved personally in the last couple of weeks as we've united in prayer, as we've been reading the same scriptures together, the same devotionals, like God's moving in my heart and I feel like he's doing a deep work, not only in me, but I feel like it's kind of, I'm hearing stories that it's happening in other people. How many of you guys feel like God is growing us deeper right now? God is doing something in this place that's not just about normal church activity, but there's something new and fresh that there is a current that the Holy Spirit is pushing us in. Are you all with me? 
And I feel like this is what he's doing, and I'm, 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 I'm seeing it through, these, through this lens, a surrender to his spirit, a willingness to say, God, I'm going to keep growing deeper, and I'm going to trust you for the outcome. When we see God, we will find life. When we stoke the fire, our spiritual temperature will rise. God, we, God wants to grow us. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray for us, but here's, you know, we've been saying 2023 is all for you, and, and I keep saying kind of the same thing, like, have you given 2023 to, to him? Have you surrendered this year to him? I've never really asked that question at the beginning of the year. Have you surrendered the year to him? But I've been saying it this year because I feel like God wants to do something this year. So maybe you need to surrender that magic number to him. Maybe you need to surrender that thing where the numbers don't add up. Maybe you need to surrender your goals or your picture of growth. Maybe you need to surrender that the number that he has is bigger than yours or maybe the number that he has is smaller than yours. Or maybe you just need to surrender to him, <laughs> surrender to his spirit. But I just want to pray for us. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship a little bit over the next few minutes and just respond to him. But would you just bow your heads? close your eyes, and I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to just move in this room. Holy Spirit, would you come? And we know you're already here, but would you start moving in people's hearts, in their lives? Would you start revealing things? Would you start giving them pictures? Would you start giving them words in their mind that, Lord, you want to do something? Lord, the thing that you want to surrender, they need to surrender, Lord, would you just bring that to the surface right now, Holy Spirit? Maybe even you right now, you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you Come. Come. Father, I pray only for the measure of growth that you desire for us as a person, as a church body. But Lord, we pray for more people to find their salvation in you, more people to surrender their lives to you, more fire in more people, Lord. I actually want to just invite anyone today. It's just kind of a bold, a bold invitation and a bold surrender. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, I want to give you the opportunity. Because before you can ever be on fire for God, you have to surrender to God. Every human being has to face this question. Have you given your heart to God? Have you said yes to Jesus? So with your heads bowed, I just want to invite you into this moment. Salvation is found in Christ alone. The Bible says that anyone who wants to experience salvation they must confess to God that Jesus is Lord. You know, when it says in Acts that they added to their number daily, what that means is people were every day confessing, Jesus, your Lord, I want to follow you. The Bible says there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says salvation is found in no one else. The Bible says that today can be the day of your salvation. So it is no accident that you're here today. He sees you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. So if you've been searching in your life for clarity about your relationship with God, maybe this is your moment. And I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to give your life to Christ today, if you want to surrender your heart to him, I'll lead you in a prayer. We can do this in so many different ways, but this is just the way we do it at this time. We just kind of lead in a prayer. And you can just repeat this prayer in your heart, but it's a prayer of surrender. So if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to say, God, I want to give you my heart. 
Just say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that right where you're at. Jesus, I give you my life. Now say, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. The reason we pray that is we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. And God says that we need to confess our sin before him. So just pray that if you didn't, I confess my sin to you. And I ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness. And it's a prayer for surrender. So just say this. Say, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. The Bible says that we, when we have Christ in us, that there's a new boldness in us. And even right now, I just want to invite you into a moment of bravery and boldness. The scriptures say that we need to acknowledge, our, acknowledge him before others. And so if you've just given your life to Christ, this is your opportunity to do that. No one's looking around, so you're just going to acknowledge maybe to me so I can pray for you because I want to pray for you. If you just prayed that prayer, it's a moment of boldness. Would you just lift your hand right now? I see you. It's awesome. Holy Spirit, I just pray for those that just lifted their hand. Would you just seal this moment in their heart as they give them their life to you? They surrendered themselves to you in the name of Jesus. We just pray that seed is planted in good soil. And Father, I pray for everyone else in this room. I pray that we are hungry for you. I pray a spirit of surrender in this place. In the name of Jesus. As we worship We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.